Astrid had decided to be an adventurer. It was really the only way to get into the profession, despite what stories might tell you. There aren't courses, and wizened old mentors rarely have robust recruitment networks. So Astrid didn't wait around for adventure to call. She went and called it up first. It'd been going fairly well. Last week, she'd found an ancient stone tablet carved by an ancient society and returned it to the sect which prophesied its leaving would be the harbinger for the end of days. Turned out to have been stolen by the cleaner in an attempt to make some quick cash rather than an apocalypse cult, but the monk seemed happy to have it back nonetheless. So when she was asked to deal with an infestation of creatures plaguing a village, she privately thought it was a bit of a backward step, to be honest, but took a professional approach. Now it's the difference between getting a recommendation and not. You can't underestimate word of mouth in the early days of any venture, and when the next old one emerges from the world beyond the veil, or the location of the sword of whatever was uncovered, Astrid was going to be at the forefront of clients' minds for all their adventuring needs. The village in question was a quaint little place, green rolling hillocks and sandstone cottages, inhabited by a few dozen Tibbets. Tibbets were a homesome, simple people, a little shorter than Astrid, with pale, soft-looking skin and large, soulful eyes. Astrid decided to start with the home of Mr. and Mrs. Blebble, two very nice Tibbets who were nervously looking up at Astrid on the threshold of their home as she gently tried to understand the problem. So you say this started in the last few months, she said. The pair nodded, the husband speaking up. Yes, around that time. And what has happened? Well, we didn't want to be a bother, you know, but it is becoming quite inconvenient, he mumbled. It's quite all right, I'm more than happy to help, Astrid said. But I don't quite understand the issue. Where is this infestation? It it sounds silly, I know, but there are a few of us now. It's just the basement of our houses seem to be affected. It's nothing really, I'm sure, but we thought it best to check, managed his wife, before meekly retreating. Yes, we thought it might just go away, but it does seem to be getting worse. Astrid gritted her teeth. This could turn out to be a complete waste of time. Why don't I take a look, and we'll see, hmm? She smiled brightly, and gently ushered them back inside their own home so she could come through. It was just as twee inside as it was without, with all the accoutrements of a small life well-lived clustered in a few small rooms. Astrid clutched her backpack close, silently despairing at their choice of lifestyle. "'Would you like a cup of tea?' quivered Mrs. Blebble. "'That would be lovely, thank you,' said Astrid, out of some half-remembered social reflex. "'Milk? Sugar?' said Mrs. Blebble, seemingly a great deal more comfortable now she was offering someone tea. "'Uh, no, thanks,' replied Astrid, now tiring of the little social dance. "'Is this the door to the basement?' She pointed at a door under the stairs, taking Mr. Blebble's timid fluttering as an affirmative. She opened it to reveal a rickety set of stairs retreating into the utter lightless black of a good basement. Astrid rummaged around in her pack and extracted a flashlight, a device of her own construction that could be set to produce a variety of wavelengths of light which stretched across the spectrum into the invisible, some rather impressive intensities if she did say so herself. It also incorporated an underslung smell launcher. At the moment, however, as with most moments, if she was being completely honest, Astrid left the selection ring regular and flicked on a warm yellowish light. It arced down into the basement, illuminating the length of the stairs, but nothing else. Astrid frowned, twisting the selection ring a little to produce a colder, bluer light which enveloped the stairs in a piercing white. Still, the walls and floor of the basement were shrouded in a completely unrelenting darkness. She frowned deeper and descended a couple of steps down, feeling the wood of the steps flex underneath her. She still couldn't see anything of the walls or floor of the basement. 
she descended a little further to around the middle of the basement stairs. Her hindbrain tugged at her consciousness, nudging her into noticing something. The light wasn't fading out at the bottom of the stairs. Every step was resplendent in a brilliant white, ending not with the smooth gradient of increasingly insufficient light, but abruptly swallowed whole by the blackness. She flicked the torch out to the side, searching through the impenetrable black which gathered around her on all sides, seeing nothing. No, there was something there. A glint, but it must be something very small, or... And with that, her perspective shifted. This wasn't a moderate country house basement with absurdly dark walls and floor. The staircase went down into nothingness, the last step hovering over a deep black chasm. Astrid made an involuntary little noise in the back of her throat, the all-too-flexible staircase now seeming much more of an issue. She steeled herself for a second, clenching her eyes tight closed, to more quickly adjust them to the low light, not because she was struck with an incongruous underground vertigo. With her eyes now resolutely open, Astrid clicked the strength of her torch up a few notches. Now a large, clear circle of light illuminated the ground, perhaps a hundred metres below her. She swung the torch around, and it ran over the uneven rock floor like a searchlight, tracking over the cold stone of the cavern, littered with a washing tub, some knick-knacks, and the red brick that presumably had made up the Blebble's basement wall. Other fallen masonry fell under the bright circle of her spotlight, and Astrid tracked it up and up, Across from her, she crouched down, she could see the subterranean intrusions of other basements in the village, some appearing as half-cubes of negative space punched out of the cavern, others entirely subsumed into the pit below like the blebbles. All in all, the cavern was at least 400 metres across, and perhaps 100 metres straight down. It sat below most of the little village, and a good deal of space further west as well. Well, called Mr Blebble from the top of the stairs, how bad is it? It's, uh, not looking great, replied Astrid levelly. I'm going to come back up now. And you're quite sure it's creatures that have caused this, said Astrid. She was sat with the Blebbles in their twee little living room, slightly hunched around their tibbet-sized furniture. Oh yes, we could hear scrabbling and these sort of voices. What kind of creatures were they? I'm afraid we're not sure. We're very sorry, said Mr. Blubble. It started happening slowly. We'd hear scrabbling noises, and a corner of the basement disappeared. But we never saw anything. A corner of your basement disappeared, and you weren't concerned, said Astrid. Well, we didn't really use that corner very much. Your whole house could fall in. This can't be stable. Oh, no, said Mr. Blubble. I'm sure it won't come to that. What? Why? There is a gradually increasing hole underneath your home. The whole street could be swallowed up. Mr and Mrs Blebble looked crestfallen. Oh dear, we're very sorry. We didn't think it was that bad. That's fine. You shouldn't have to... I mean, that's why I'm here. Astrid stood up. I'm going to go down there and see what's causing this. Mr Blebble nodded, although Astrid noticed Mrs Blebble's gaze flicker towards her largely untouched tea. Astrid picked up the cup and swiftly gulped down the now fairly tepid nettle-based beverage. In the meantime, I think it would be a good idea for everyone on this street, and probably the next one over at least, to move out of their houses for a little while. Oh, are you sure? It seems like quite an upheaval for everyone. What should we tell them? Well, tell them there is a moderate chance that their houses will collapse into this hole and they will die. Okay, well, I'll see what they say. 
Astrid anchored a pit on into the stonework when she was sure the blebbles were not watching. She secured a cable to the anchor, testing it with her weight. It held well, and she flung the cable into the darkness, the long coil unfurling smoothly as it fell. She attached her winch to the cable and stepped onto the staircase. With the torch aimed downwards, she could just about follow the line all the way to the cavern below. There were not creatures visible on the cavern floor, nor across the walls or ceiling, though the latter was tough to see much of being so close to it herself. Torch in one hand, winch in the other, Astrid stepped out from the rickety staircase, trusting all her weight to the cable and the anchor it was fastened to. Her harness creaked as it tightened around her, and she swung gently in the darkness. Everything seeming to be in order, Astrid pressed the clasp on her winch, and it began letting cable through with a soft, buzzing sound. Slowly, she descended into the dark. The floor of the cavern was a rough surface of fallen rock, masonry, and bits and pieces the Tibbets felt they wouldn't need until next winter. Astrid picked her way across the uneven surface, searching for a hole. It wasn't long before she found one, a small, irregularly circular tunnel disappearing into the rock, twisting out of sight. Around 20 metres to her left, another one could just be seen, partially concealed by fallen shelving. Astrid removed another invention from her pack, a listening device, dish-shaped and connected to a pair of earbuds she slotted into place. Functionally, it was just a stethoscope but attached to a formidable sonar. After some twisting and tweaking of various settings, Astrid set off, the undulating hum in her ears pointing her towards the hollow spaces beneath the ground. She squeezed herself into a small tunnel, disappearing beneath the ground, following the winding whine of her home-honed sonar. She kept squirming through the tunnel for a few minutes, hearing a dull sea flat grow louder and louder, heralding the arrival before she came to it, a cross tunnel set diagonally from the one she was ensconced in. This one was wide enough for her to stand, just, and she took the opportunity, following it to the right and then down and down. Occasionally offshoots would shoot off, and sometimes she would take them, always heading towards what her ears informed her was the most hollow option. Suddenly, a high blip in her ears stopped her dead. She calibrated the field of hearing, focusing it down and down, running the sonar dish over where she had heard it from. Blip, again. Now she had a real direction. Astrid quickened her pace, taking a right, a left, a left, a right, following a winding, weaving tunnel, down, 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 blip, a sudden left, and... Crouched in the tunnel was a grubber. Its rubber skin set it apart as a creature not built to be viewed in direct sunlight. The grubber's head whipped up, irritated to have been discovered, but clearly not caught completely unawares. It must have heard her coming from some distance away. What, it said as if it had caught her staring at it on public transportation rather than in a subterranean cavern deep below the surface of the world. Er, uh, have you been digging these tunnels? Astrid demanded. Yep. Well, are you aware there's a village up above you here? The grubber looked upwards at the stone ceiling that stopped only a few inches above his head. Oh, no. Well, there is, and it's in danger because of your digging. Oh, soz. You can't dig here, said Astrid. You can't tell me where I can and can't grub, said the grubber. I have all the rights I need under the rich and conveniently complicated legal system which my people abide by. Anyway, it's not like I want to be here, he finished sulkily. Why not? Why not? Have you seen the rock quality down here? It's all clay and shale. Is that bad? It's not great. Then could I persuade you to please go somewhere else? The grubber sniffed. Sorry, it's out of my hands. 
This is one of the last corners I have left. The whole area southwest down of here has been earmarked for crystal mining by the authority. It's just about the last patch I can grub. Why can't you just go somewhere else? Astrid asked. Because of the rich and complex legal permissions associated with underground grubbing rights. Oh, I thought you were making that up. How dare you? My uncle's a lawyer. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, that's... Uh, he has a small practice specialising in family and property law. But not everyone could be a bigwig lawyer in the city. I think he does very important work for real people. Uh, no, yeah, absolutely, said Astrid. That's very Im- important. The confrontation seemed to have gotten away from her a little. Sorry, what is this crystal mining? The grubber raised an eyebrow. Follow me. The heat was incredible. The tunnels began to fill with it, just as they filled with a malevolent light, reflected down who knows how many of the grubber's twists and turns, raising in intensity incrementally, never gaining any strength to remark upon, but pushing the question ever stronger into the mind. Was it always this red in front of me and purple behind? Were the textures of the rocks around me always so washed out in the Merlot penumbra? I felt as though I had been walking forever, then the grubber suddenly stopped. What now? said Astrid. She felt strange. It was headachy, fusticating aurora. It was hard to recall how long they'd been trudging, all moments seeming to slide inevitably into the next. Now we go back. What's further along? asked Astrid, pushing back the impulse that celebrated his relenting of the forwards' momentum that had become imposing and impossible. More of this. It gets hotter and redder and harder to think. At a certain point, it is too hot and too red and too hard to think. He began walking backwards, calmly but abruptly, receding into the purple that lay at their back. Astrid followed as swiftly as she knew it was happening. I thought you said you had legal right to be here. I have legal right to grub here, but of course I cannot grub in that. The authority has given away all rights to drill, and drilling is more important than grubbing. He shrugged. Astrid could already feel the omnipotent dread drain from around her bones, the dull nervousness and fog lifting from between her thoughts, allowing them to connect once more. So, if you could grub there, you would? Of course, replied the grubber. There's probably great grubbing there now. That's the secret to grubbing. You've got to leave it long enough for there to be grub to grub. Aha! exclaimed Astrid, swinging in on her winch. She'd wanted to enter with a different invention, but honestly, winches were pretty good for vertical travel. The authority was held in a large castle. Held or lived, possibly. Astrid wasn't sure exactly of the way it worked. The castle was where it was at, though. It wasn't formally a castle, but some other designation of building with a less militaristic purpose. But for all that, it had high walls and armed guards. These hadn't bothered Astrid, and at least she'd had an opportunity to use her lockpick to gain entrance to the high window, from which she now descended. Unfortunately, she had slightly mistimed her aha, and had to maintain a stern expression for a few more moments before her feet touched the ground. The meeting room, large, tall, and with a circular hardwood table at the centre, was peopled by around fifteen figures, all large, all different shapes. They did not seem perturbed as she entered, and did not call for guards. Heads merely revolved to watch her enter. Hello, Astrid, said the closest figure. It was tall and thin, dressed impeccably in a sharp suit and with the head of an owl. Astrid wasn't going to give this enormous owl person the satisfaction of asking how it knew her name. 
I demand you stop drilling for that ominously glowing stuff underneath Tibbet Heath, she proclaimed. She wasn't sure what to do with her hands. They felt silly where they were. On the other side of the table, a robed globule that was neither in this dimension nor entirely out of it made a noise like the whisper at the beginning of time. Now, Stanley, said the owl-being, I know it's a little ahead of schedule, but I don't see why we can't consider the drilling program with our guest. Some fresh eyes in the room can be a good thing. He beckoned Astrid closer, making space for her at the table. She approached, slowly, fearing a trick. The table was just above her eyeline. The owl person proffered his chair. Astrid glared at it for a moment, then clambered onto it with as much dignity as she could. Above the table hovered a three-dimensional image produced by some unseen trickery. Astrid cast her eyes over the bewilderingly complex web of shapes and colours before her. The base layer of the hologram was just a map of the known world, huge in an exquisite detail, and Astrid lamented how little of it she had seen herself. Over the top flickered runes and sigils, numbers and graphs, charting a hundred little things, bits of hard data. She could see the price of food in places she'd never heard of, murders and crime, wars and trading routes. Overlaid over that, there seemed to be a third layer, more transparent, more ephemeral. There were predictions, risk assessments, probabilities. Astrid was entranced, despite herself. It was an overwhelming amount of data, impossible to see at all levels at once, but you could squint right in and see the little pieces turning, or unfocus and see the whole picture shifting and moving as people moved or gold changed hands, all connected if only you could see how. Deep red spots appeared in various places across the map, linked to other places with red lines. Now, said the L-being, the hell crystal deposit under discussion can be found here. He pointed to a place on the map where, just visible, the Tibbet's village would be seen. Underneath, a dark red bruise roiled. Astrid refocused her eyes on the colossal beings around her. We'll shut it down, she said. We shouldn't even be using hell crystals anyway. It's antiquated, and it gives off a mist that makes trees louder, and when it gets into the water, it turns fish all fluffy. Makes it very difficult for them to swim. She'd been reading up on the journey over. We've all seen the documentary, said a hillock in a three-piece. We've already committed to reducing our reliance over the next ten to fifteen years. But if we stop all at once... Why, a device as simple as the trans-dimensional prism griffin you used to get here would be utterly useless. Well, can't you just reduce drilling in spots which aren't populated, at least? Well, we do. The major sources of hell energy are uninhabited, but the more sites we shut down, the more the price is driven up. The great city of Cogs will only bear so much before people start closing down whole gear chains, said a papier-mâché grim reaper. And if the hell energy in Cuddle Canyon becomes too valuable, then we risk reigniting the conflict between North and South Fluffytown. It took years to broker that peace, growled a stern figure off to Astrid's left. He was dressed in ceremonial armour and sported a truly colossal beard. The things I saw after the Battle of Snuffles Bay cannot be allowed to happen again. I will not permit it. He thumped his fist onto the table. The discussion continued. The meeting had been hours. In a long, impressive corridor outside the room, Astrid sat on an uncomfortable bench. She greedily gulped down a sugarcane water she had stashed in her bag, exhausted. The fog in her mind was thick and cloying. She had followed a hundred different threads with the monsters in that room, trying to find something useful to do, trying to make it all work. 
the tall figure with the owl's head approached on his way back in. How did you find the meeting? It's wrong, Astrid managed. I know things are wrong, and I know they could be better, but I couldn't quite find the the point where it would... I mean, there's so much. Ah, yes. The figure nodded and turned. He folded his long legs and sat on the bench next to Astrid. It is rather a lot to take in. They held their conversation as the rather dapper hillock passed them on the way back to the meeting room with a tiny paper cup of water dwarfed in its hand. It nodded at them, then nipped through the impressive oak doors. And I'm sure some of the others weren't really trying to make things better at all, Astrid continued. The Queen of Sinestra seemed to be pushing for things that made no sense to me, and that dude who was like, was he like a wombat prince or something? He would not budge on crystal ball regulation. The owl nodded. And you were focused primarily on that one village being able to stay where it is. None of that, Ashard waved her hand in the direction of the tangled projection, is their fault. The owl shrugged, its slender arms shifting up a foot or so. Nothing seems to be anyone's fault, and yet you've now seen an inkling of the scale of the problems we face every day. Astrid hopped down off the bench and turned to look at the besuited creature. An owl's face can conceal a great deal if it wishes, and it did nothing discernible to respond while she glared at it. Some of that is people's fault, and it doesn't matter if it's someone's fault or not anyway. It needs fixing. Of course it does. That's why we're here. We just have to do it by minutely affecting seemingly unrelated variables until everything runs smoothly and without incident, said the administrator of the authority. But that's... Astrid fumbled. Boring, the creature suggested. I was going to say stupid, snapped Astrid. I was trying to be polite. The owl's face, of course, did nothing. Well, this is our method. If you wish to fix the problem directly, why, I understand you are a keen inventor. And you seem to have befriended a small village of meticulous, hard-working little people, and at least one individual who seems born to tunnel through the earth. I'm sure you could come up with something without going through all this tedious bureaucracy. Astrid continued to glare at him, a long time before speaking. Don't think I don't know what you're doing. You just want me to sort out the problem so it's one less thing for you to deal with in that room. I just want you to know that I know that, and I'm only going to do that because that's the most useful thing for me to do, not because it helps you. With that, and left abruptly with little else to say, Astrid turned and stomped off down the corridor. Of course, whatever you think is best, the owl person said, and though beaks leave little room for smirking, there was undoubtedly a smirking quality to it. Shut up, intoned Astrid over her shoulder. And once I've gotten this sorted out, I'm going to sort out another problem, and then something else, and eventually you and I will end up directly opposing one another, and I'm really looking forward to that because you are incredibly smug. I look forward to it as well. The hunched figure on the bench was now quite far away. No, you don't. I do. It took Astrid a little while to find an exit which did not involve winching, but after a few wrong turns, she marched out of the front gates of the authorities' chamber, back out into the world. It felt quite a lot as though she had lost, but mostly just as though she hadn't won yet. She intended to fix that. <laughs>